Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. Penny for your thoughts, Jundo. Thoughts. So many thoughts. One thought after another. They never cease. One leads to the next, leads to the next from the time I get up to the time I go to bed. And even while I'm dreaming, thoughts, thoughts, thoughts. I'm only paying you a penny, so don't go too deep here. Oh, I thought I get paid by the word. That's why I was... No, no, no. I said penny for your thoughts, not a penny word. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. So what are we thinking about today? What's our topic? Well, we were thinking about what to talk about, and we decided we want to talk about thoughts, because thoughts are, well, interesting. They seem to come out of nowhere, yet they come from our long life experience. They come from the things we see and feel and touch, our sensory experience. They come from our karma, the fact that we may have happy thoughts or angry thoughts or sad thoughts. But what are they? Where do they come from? Where do they go? They seem to just be like clouds that float across the sky and disappear. And we may say they are our experience and what we think about our experience. And some schools of Buddhism would say that they are the universe because all the universe is nothing but our thoughts and our thoughts are the universe. We think there was a universe and then a brain and then our thoughts, but we don't realize that our thoughts create the universe. For example, I can explain to folks why there are no luscious apples on green trees. Would you like to know why there are no luscious apples on green trees without us, I should say, without our thoughts? Go ahead. Let us assume, and some radical idealists will not even go that far, let us assume that there's something out there. Traditional Buddhism would say that certain sense data comes to our senses, we might say, for example, these days, photons interact with the retina of the eye. And from that, they're turned into electrochemical signals. The traditional Buddhists did not speak about electrochemical signals, but basically no. it was the same. The, something contacted the senses and came into our awareness and became our thoughts, which we begin to categorize, interpret, and isolate, applying names such as, oh, I see something. I have learned since my childhood to call that a tree. There's a certain color there. I have learned to call that green. But the green is only the photons interacting with the retina interpreted as the color green in the brain. There's no green without certain wavelengths. This is where the physicists and the Buddhists come together. There's no green without certain wavelengths of the photons, which are interpreted as the color green in our inner experience. You have never actually seen a tree. You have seen a recreation of something in your mind as a thought, which you say, oh, 
There is a green thing. It's a tree. Therefore, you give a name. This is a tree. I learned this when I was a child. One of the first words I learned, tree. Then my hand reaches out, grabs this thing on the tree called an apple, which I taste on my tongue. With a certain chemical property of the sugars in the apple, I taste sweetness. There is no sweetness without my tongue and the translation in my brain, which interprets, it, interprets that as the sweetness and taste of an apple, which I see out there as this red object on the green field of the tree. It's an apple. Now, why am I talking like this? Because, my friend, we experience the whole world and all the other things, all the other sentient beings, even the people we love, as this, as not just what they are outside, but this interpretation we give inside. And our topic today is how we can manage that interpretation, our thoughts. Well, that's given me a lot to think about. A food for thought. But so we're conflating two things here. You're talking about perception and the the way we perceive things and feel them. But thoughts can also arise on their own. They don't have to be the result of seeing, feeling, touching, tasting. They can just happen in your brain and they can be happy and sad. And sometimes thoughts can feel as real as reality. That's why the Buddha spoke about six senses. No, they don't mean six senses like ESP six sense. That means right. six sense six senses that we have touch, touch, taste, smell, sight. Wait a second. Touch, sight, sound, smell, taste, touch. Object okay. Touch and add mind and mind. Mind is its own sense. It's the inner world we create just of thoughts that they, they said was not the senses coming in touch with something outside, but this inner world of uh a fabricated world we create inside, which is mind. Well, which we create, which is created, right? It's it's a creation of the self, and I'm putting self in italics and quotes here because we're going to talk about no self in a minute. It's a creation of the self and the outside world and how they interact. If you were in a vat and just had feeding tubes and didn't see or smell or taste or touch or feel anything, would you have thoughts? If you grew up like that, would you have thoughts? If your brain was totally disconnected from the senses, you know, there was a famous Helen Keller who could not hear or see, but she could still touch and smell and, and speak. And, and, and she yeah. had interaction with the outside world. But if you were really isolated, assuming you could survive, which is doubtful, what would you experience? Now, the insects, for example, we can't imagine what they experience. Do they have a, a similar sense experience of the world, or are they just reactions? In any case, our world depends on this, shall we say, feedback loop of data coming in, and then our hand reaching out, our reactions going out back and forth. And this is how we create the world. The world outside exists because we see it as such, and our inner world creates its inner vision because of the outside. This is our world of thought. Buddhist mind, I don't mean to say a cosmic mind, Buddhist mind is not only what's between the ears, it's this entire feedback loop of what's outside going in and what's inside going out. This is all 
the greater mind. I have an interesting quote by Koto Sawaki. When we are born, our universe is born too. When we die, we take everything of our universe with us. Yes. Was that Sawaki or Uchiyama? We, I have to think about that later. That was Sawaki in Discovering the True Self. Very good. The, one of the ways to look at that is we all are living in our own world. You see out of your eyes, I see out of my eyes, and your universe is not the same exactly as my universe. So yes, you're creating your own Kirk universe, which is not just Kirk seeing the universe. There is no universe without our different perspectives. So your universe is a universe, and my universe is a universe. And that is uh, very lovely to Buddhism, because it means we're all creating our universe, which somehow I assume was before me, and somehow I think will go on after me, but also is me. You know, we are the life of the universe, my friend. Our thoughts is the universe sentient? I can prove it. Do you know how? How? We are the universe, and we are sentient. Therefore, the universe is sentient. Right. That that gets rid of the fallacy of separating us from everything around us, which is one of the goals of Zen, of breaking down those barriers and realizing that we are all together. So if anything is sentient, it's because something is sentient, Right. I can prove that the universe loves vanilla ice cream, because I do, and I'm the universe. But I can also prove that the universe doesn't like vanilla ice cream, because you don't. I like vanilla ice cream, but I prefer coffee ice cream. Well, then the universe prefers coffee ice cream in your version of it. (laughs) (laughs) So are we talking about a multiverse, or is this just a shared universe which... We each have our own, but they kind of overlap. Well, let's not let our thoughts wander today and stay on topic. We wanted to talk about thoughts. We all create our world of thoughts. Now, the the trick of Buddhism is, what do we do with this mess of thoughts that passes between our ears from morning till night? There are good thoughts. There are bad thoughts. By good, I mean there are helpful, healthful Healthy, H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L. Beautiful, peaceful thoughts. In Buddhism, those are generally considered good good thoughts. There are greedy, angry, violent thoughts. Those are generally considered bad thoughts. There are thoughts of lust and thoughts of generosity and and thoughts of uh, silliness and thoughts of serious. There are thoughts of yesterday and tomorrow. Our topic today is what do we do with this whole mess of thoughts? What would you do? Well, we kind of have to navigate it in many ways. Some of the thoughts are essential to our life. I wake up, maybe I'm hungry, I need to eat. If I don't eat, if the thought of hunger disappears, I might eventually die because I don't eat. Other thoughts are, I'm looking out the window right now, there's clouds in the sky, I'm appreciating the blue sky, the clouds moving in the wind. It's more of a aesthetic thought that you might have when you're looking at nature, when you're looking at a beautiful picture, listening to beautiful music. So all of these different thoughts have different uses and different values. Yeah, I I would say so. But if you just limit yourself to what you just said, I have a thought to eat that stare out the window. You're my cat. Uh, Because (laughs) basically that and I want to sleep. If you want to do an eight hour podcast, I could talk to you through all my thoughts of the day. I was just picking a couple. Well, but yes, uh, if I was a cat, that's what I would think. I would think food, litter box, go outside. 
that's about it. That that basically sums it up for my cat. But uh, we are much more complex individuals, and and Buddhism, I think, was created to recognize this. But the question is, what do we do with this mess of thoughts? And Buddhism, through the centuries, has offered various interpretations, shall we say, of what to do with these thoughts. And I'm gonna I'm gonna give three. Okay, but first, we don't want to shut these thoughts off. That's one of the pitfalls that people make when they think of Zen and meditation. They think you have to stop all your thoughts, and that's not what we want to do, right? That was actually one of my three. There is the view the, the view in Buddhism and some other Eastern traditions that all thought is illusion. All thought is taking us away from a certain reality. What we need to do is eliminate all thought. And there are actually certain kinds of meditation, very deep, that I think can get somewhere close to that, where the person learns to concentrate so much that they 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 basically rid their mind of all extraneous thoughts. And if they... Is that meditating with the bananas? I think they're, they are bananas, but what do you mean? No, the janas. I was making a pun joke. Oh, the janus, the janus, yeah, the bananas. Yes, the very deep. I think there, there are levels of janus. I think that's you're getting up there to seven or eight right there. There, yes, the very deep janus. And I think it's uh, possible to do that. But then you know the question is, okay, where do you go from there? It seems. Um, yeah, who makes dinner? Who makes dinner? Well, you don't need dinner in that state, according to some. You can do without food. You can do without breathing. Uh, I don't know that. Okay. But it has never been uh, verified. They, they, there was uh, some thought that uh, when you get in those very deep, deep stakes, the, the, the world is so, uh, vanishes so much, you don't even need to breathe. Okay. But we'll try that out after the they, podcast. Yeah. He's, the guy who said that is looking a little blue these days, so I, I'm not sure that's, <laughs> that's the case. But anyway, that's, that was one thought about, that was one thought about how to deal with thoughts. Another one is strictly control them and minimalize them and keep them down to a bare essential. I think this was true in some uh, paths of early Buddhism, that we must rigorously control ourselves, control our thoughts, not have any thought of lust, not have any thought of greed or desire. The less thoughts we have and keep it simple, we uh, are free. And again, I'm, I'm sure that's wonderful if someone can do that, but I, I believe that robs us of life a little bit. I, I like the richness. If you try to eliminate all desire, then you end up like a cat. Our goal is understanding desire and not being overwhelmed by it, not being controlled by it, but using it when we need it. When we're hungry, someone has to make dinner. I think you've just had a very nice thought, Kirk. I think that's exactly oh, right. Thank you. Thank you. I, I think what the Zen masters got onto is that one can have thoughts without being prisoner of thoughts if one is wise. And may I say, looking around Western society today, and what <laughs> ails us, boy, people buy into their BS thoughts. Their, boy, there's a lot of garbage. Should yeah. I change that? No, no, it's fine. Okay, because I, I you can I, say BS on the podcast. I can say BS. Okay, yes, yes. Uh, people buy into all kinds of thoughts that they take to be real, and 
that a lot of these thoughts are not only not necessarily the only way to think, but they're kind of destructive. Like, if I get this thing, I'll be happy. If I get more of this thing, I'll be even happier. That that guy wronged me. I have to get vengeance. That those people are my enemy, and this is my country. All these thoughts we live in this world. I'm in a red state. You're in a blue state. Uh, <laughs> you are uh, uh, beautiful, but you're ugly, and I don't like you. All these thoughts that fill our minds. Part of Zen is hitting the reset button, starting not from zero, but starting from, well, yes, in a way, starting from zero, because that base of no thought is very clear and open. So, yes, we do actually start from this, shall we say, non-thought realm, before all the categories, before all the judgments, before all the names, and we begin to reconstruct. I think it's really important to say non-thought and not no-thought, because no-thought was the first point that we don't want, and non-thought and non-thinking is what Dogen expressed about how we deal with thoughts. We don't push them away. We don't try to eliminate them. We surf them, we riff on them, we and jam we, with them. And we see the light that shines through. Now, now, now get this. Dogen was about thought non-thoughts, thinking non-thinking. Now, what does that mean? There is some clarity, wholeness, and peace that comes when we drop all the divisions, drop all the categories, drop the me versus you, drop the good versus bad, and there's some peaceful wholeness that we call emptiness, empty of separate self-existence, that is, shall we say, the foundation of wisdom, okay? We must realize this in our Zen practice, but don't stay there. Then start reconstructing your world of me and you and this and that and the other thing, and come back to the world and realize that both sides are still there. Then you can have a world of things we must choose and me and you and places I must go, but also the wholeness at the same time. It's vital we know both. So even though on an absolute level, there's no self and we're all the universe, on a relative level, there's self and there's universe and there's someone making dinner and there's a cat sleeping. You need both because if you get lost in the emptiness, you can't function. It's literally empty of any way yeah. to, to do anything. You can't. There's nothing to do. You can't do anything. You You can't you can't even put your pants on because there's no pants to put on. I mean, that's that's how empty it is. Okay. But then you come back to this world. But if there's no pants to put on, you don't need pants. Right. But we live in a world that if you don't have pants on and you go outside, they're going to arrest you. So right. we live in both these worlds. Right. So okay. then we come back to this world where people get trapped in their thoughts and buy into it and get tangled and wallow and 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 they're just prisoners of thought. If you put the two together, you get a clarity in your thoughts. You get a simplicity in your thoughts. You get a peace which sweeps through all the frictions and divisions. And when you put the two together, I dare say that's kind of realization and awakening. Okay. So that's two points. You said you had three points. One was no thought at all, which isn't good. The uh, second is non-thought which is trying to balance things. What's the third point? I had a thought about the third thought, but my age, thoughts tend to be forgotten. Wait a second. Give me a second. <laughs> okay. Came back. Okay. Thoughts are, how do you decipher 
the good thoughts from the bad? How do you not become a prisoner of thoughts? This is part of our skill, I would say, that we learn as Zen people. And I'm going to say this, I have yet to perfect it because it cannot be perfected, I think. It's like asking a baseball pitcher to learn. He's a gifted baseball natural to learn how to throw always the perfect game. It cannot be done. I'm not talking about perfection, but I think we get better and better at doing this. And what is it? It's learning to recognize better that, oh, right now I'm having a greedy thought. I don't need to buy into it. Oh, right now I'm angry at that guy. And I got angry at someone yesterday. I actually did this. It's hard because I think the brain, the back of the brain, the animal part takes over. You got to say, down, boy, get down, breathe, breathe. Don't buy into the angry thought. It's just passing weather. It's just the storm. Doesn't have to be the way it is. We have people in our sangha and a part of me, a part of my life when I was in my 20s, I was severely depressed. When things are that dark, you've been there, Kirk? When things are that dark, somehow they just seem, well, I know this is just my thoughts, but boy, I'm just buying into this. Yeah. We learn not to buy into, I'm going to say it again, the BS, the BS thoughts. Part of Buddhist practice is to learn to identify the thoughts, what are the beneficial, healthful thoughts of peace and goodness, what are the bad thoughts, learning to separate ourselves more from the harmful thoughts and head in the good direction. Can we do it perfectly? I'm sorry, I'm not no. I'm not up to it. Maybe the Buddha could, according to the book. He he never had a bad thought, never had a bad Buddha day. I'm sure he had some bad days. I'm sure he stubbed his know. toe and cursed a little bit. Don't know. Very controversial. I read Dogen sometimes, sometimes between the lines. He seems to be having a bad Dogen day. I think <laughs> I think really some of the times in his words he seems a little short and he's upset about something. You can tell. Something is ready. I think it's human to get upset or have harmful thoughts, but more and more we don't have to buy into the BS, the Buddha uh, stuff. I don't know. <laughs> you know what BS is. Anyway. But, but that's hard to do. And it's hard to do because we're conditioned that these thoughts control us. So we have to break that conditioning. We have to see through the sort of momentum that carries us through life with these thoughts. You think? Yeah, I think. I think you're right. We do. And that's what our practice is. Now, when we sit Zazen, Zazen is the practice of thoughts coming, not grabbing them, letting them go, not judging, sitting in equanimity. So we feel that wholeness beyond the division, the beyond the categories, we can sit in that wholeness. But out in the world, man, when the guy cuts you off in traffic or the dry cleaner loses those pants, when uh, your brother-in-law does something that you don't like, that's what I got upset about yesterday. I'm not going to tell you about my brother-in-law. That we could do a whole podcast about my brother-in-law. I'm not going to do it. Okay. I'm getting lost in my thoughts. Give away a second. Got to take a breath. Calm down. Calm down. Okay. Let the thoughts go. Be zen. Be very zen right now. All right, I'm back. All right, so I, uh, when those thoughts come and we start to become prisoners of them, our practice is not to buy into it, to let it go more and more. 
You know, we talked about practice in a recent episode, and we talked about the fact that Zen practice is not doing scales, right? Practicing an instrument. But in a way it is. When we sit Zazen, we're practicing letting go of thoughts. We're practicing viewing those thoughts with a certain distance and not getting absorbed by them. So it is a kind of doing scales for the real world and not getting angry at the guy who cuts you off. Yes, but we're programmed, I think, inside to get angry at the guy who does this or does that or to be disappointed when the thing we've been working so hard for uh, falls flat or uh, when the candidate we don't like uh, wins or when some tragedy happens. We're, we're flooded with thoughts immediately. And to find the ability not to wallow in those thoughts, to let them go, to realize that it's just passing weather, and most importantly, to see the blue sky that's shining through all the clouds. This is this is a skill, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna claim that I'm perfect at it. Ask my wife and kid. They're gonna go, Dad. You talk a good <laughs> game there. The Zen guy. You got a podcast about how how wise you are. And sometimes you know you you stub your toe on the table or something happens with your brother-in-law, and, and you're getting all upset. There's my brother-in-law again. He's back in my thoughts. Let him go. Let him go. Peace. Jundo, calm down. Okay, breathe. All right, I'm back. All right, so this is our practice. And uh, I think it's, uh, it's a beautiful thing because it keeps us going literally off the edge of extremes in life and staying in good directions. It's a little bit like, uh, it is like baseball. It's not every game is going to be perfect but we can get darn good at it. Okay, Roshi, where do we go from here? I have no thought. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Please give us a rating. Tell your friends. You can check out past episodes at our website, zen-of-everything.com. Thanks for listening.